Welcome to this Pump Court Family Law Podcast. I'm Tara Lyons and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Nigel Pascoe QC, who's going to be talking to us about the art of cross-examining victims or vulnerable witnesses in the wake of the implementation of the Domestic Abuse Act 2021. Now, as our listeners know, that act provides that perpetrators of domestic violence may not cross-examine victims in family courts and creates a statutory presumption that victims of domestic abuse are eligible for special measures in the criminal courts. Nigel is an extremely highly regarded criminal practitioner known for being one of the top jury advocates in the country since taking silk in 1988 and appearing in many high-profile cases. In addition, Nigel was a president of the Mental Health Review Tribunal and so has a particular experience in mental health issues. Helpfully for us, as a man of many talents, not only has he written many plays, but he's also written a book called Advocacy Plus, a guide for young advocates. So who better to help lead us through the art of cross-examination. Nigel, hello and welcome. Hello, Tara. Very glad to be here. Well, I was absolutely thrilled. And I have to say, Nigel, when I spoke to a colleague and explained uh, my plan for this podcast, she said, Nigel is my idol. I can't wait to hear it. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I have to live up to that. I'm not sure I can. (laughs) Um, So Nigel, um, I found your your book really interesting and it it, it certainly um, reminded me of of quite a few points that perhaps I'd forgotten along the way in my practice. But what kind of things should we be thinking about when we're preparing for cross-examination of a victim of, say, domestic abuse? I think you should say to yourself, nothing I do should be designed or have the effect of making her present ordeal worse. I'm Mm. going to put my case, but I'm going to be sensitive to her at all times. I'm never going to lose my temper. I'm always going to be clear and I'm going to be, so far as I can, kind. But I'm going to try and do my job properly in respect of my instructions. Yes. And so what kind of, um, what kind of thing does that involve? Uh, I mean, I know you say in your book, never cross-examine crossly. Well, I'd like to get on to that. I think tone is very important and language. Don't forget, they must, they're going to be upset, but clarity will take you as far as you probably can go. So no complicated questions, clear mm-hmm. questions, and um, I think a measured tone. And of course, never, never try and raise the temperature. Now you've got the point will come where you've got to put your case, but again, that can be done cleanly and clearly. And never forget that if you upset the victim, you're also probably subconsciously upsetting the judge who doesn't mm-hmm. like to see that happen, and and also realizes you have a job to do. So, 
uh, I mean, it, it, it really comes to the, what are the essential rules of cross-examination? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the first one, flowing out of what I've just been saying, is to keep it tight. That is to put your case, your client's case, as shortly, clearly, concisely as you can. Uh, and, and I also think it means keeping control of the witness in cross-examination. Not letting a witness run away. Now, that and, happens to all of us. Yeah. But you've got to have that in mind. You're in charge. And can you give us some examples of sort of how to ask a question tightly and or um, how to, to keep control and not let the witness, you know, go off onto it, a long... long well, it, of course, what, what we really ought to do is to have... Uh, you as a volunteer of a witness <laughs> going off. But to be serious, I think I would put the question, I'm concerned about what happened last Saturday. In particular, I want to take you to the morning. It was just after breakfast and your husband came downstairs and he was angry. Now, mm. let's just go through what happened. You mm. set the scene and you've done it cleanly and, and, and you go on from there. But going back to the key uh, rules, um, the second point of cross-examination, uh, it's a truism. It's not the art of, cross -exa of examining crossly. Yeah. <laughs> so no synthetic passion, no artificial uh, raising of the temperature. I mean, I think that is less of a danger in family proceedings than in criminal proceedings when... Mm. Criminal advocates sometimes lack, lack the sensitivity, but good family practitioners know perfectly well you mm. don't cross-examine crossly. But I say it all the same, always avoid discourtesy. Don't put a degree of passion in your voice just for the sake of putting your case. And even, and this is a really difficult bit of advice, um, I don't think you should call people liars. Uh, yes. Even when the cr the crunch comes, I think I would say, may I suggest that that is not right. That is not correct. Always do that because the one question all victims, all complainants know is coming and fear most of all is you're a liar. You're lying. Mm. And if they fear it, you should understand their fear and put it as as you wish. Now, not everyone will agree with that. Some people will say that it is necessary to be very blunt and sometimes say that is a lie. And I concede it might happen, but my style was always to try and put it, uh, uh, if you like, a little obliquely without missing the point, which is putting your client's case. Now, I think the third rule about cross-examination is preparation. Um, mm -hmm. meticulous cross-examination, whatever the format you're in. And that does, um, I think, if you can, anticipate very difficult answers, which you can probably see coming from the, the text, a particular allegation. You know what she's going to say. And yes. so can I, can I ask a question, Nigel? So when you prepare your cross-examination, do you write bullet points or do you find headings that you want to think about? Or, or is it much well, more, given your considerable experience, just off the cuff? I, I certainly don't do it, write it all out. I 
will tell you a funny story which used to apply to speeches, and I think it might apply to um, cross-examination as well. Do you know when you used to buy men's shirts, there was always a sheet of cardboard in the middle, hard cardboard, still yes. is in some shirts. Well, that was my clue. I reckoned that if my cross-examination or my speech went beyond two sides of hardboard, it was too long. <laughs> now, now, so, of course, what I did was to write down topics, but mm. I did think um, uh, about the first and the last question, which you should always do. Um, think very carefully how you're going to finish. Don't let it tail away. Although, uh, in family proceedings, it doesn't have to be a dramatic end. But you should think about that, end. Yes. And with the first and last question, are you designing those questions to be sort of your best points? Or is it structure? Um, uh, good. Uh, but that's, that's not an easy question to answer. I, because the, the first question may be um, a way of leading into the topic. It doesn't mm. have to be a blunt but it yeah. should be arresting. It, it shouldn't be, oh, what's the right word? It, it shouldn't be uh, meandering. It, it no. should have a point to it and grab her attention or the victim's attention and the judge's. And the final question is often a wrap-up question. Yeah. Um, uh, Can you give examples? And, uh, uh, the truth of the matter is that this incident did not happen as you have described. Thank you for, uh, I'd also thank witnesses. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's not a terribly good example. It depends on the facts. Yeah. But still think about the exact words or the words you're going to use when you wrap it up. Yeah. Now, the third rule about cross-examination is the very famous one. Never ask a question to which you do not know the answer. Mm. Uh, it is a jolly good rule, but I want to add one qualification, which is not for the beginner. I think the rule should be never ask a question where you do not have a very good idea of what the answer is going to be. And I say that because sometimes something comes out of the air and you can use it. It's almost a feeling. Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a line of country. I'd never thought of a line of questioning. Let me go there. And uh, that carefully done will involve you not knowing what she's going to say. Uh, but I, an experienced advocate knows exactly what I'm talking about. So as a beginner, don't do it. If you know what you're doing and you're prepared to trust your own judgment, do it. Mm. And then uh, those are the, the four key rules. But the general advice is we've talked about already variation of tone and pace. Um, and you can watch others to, to gain, obviously, experience. Mm. And um, you must develop your own style. I would say one other general point. Mm. Um, you must be yourself. You mustn't adopt or mimic someone else's style. Mm. Um, and that's much more true, I think, in criminal courts. When people are tempted to, to adopt a persona, the trouble is, just like television, it's, it looks false, it mm. looks phony, and people will spot it. Well, in, your, in the case of family, the judge will realize that it's an unnecessary act. So I mm. think that's advice more for criminal than for family, but be yourself.
Yeah. And yourself, incidentally, is someone who knows how to pronounce all the names, who is, yeah. uh, gives the witness chance to answer and all that sort of thing. Um, so those are my general rules for cross-examination. Um, and, and, and what particular um, things do you have in, in the back of your uh, mind when you are um, cross-examining a, a victim uh, beyond those general rules? Well, I, 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 the point I made right at the beginning, I, I think an advocate is not divorced from the person he is cross-examining or she is cross-examining. You have to have a basic humanity in mind. And I, I say to myself, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to make it worse. But, but um, there will be times when the witnesses pretty obviously lied. Uh, lied yeah. because you've got contrary statements. Lied because they've elaborated. Yeah. And uh, I say to myself, well, I'm not going to be angry, but I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to be uh, over familiar. In I'm going to be cool, mm. detached, but fair. Mm. So, uh, does that help? Yes, that does help. And one of the things that I think people um, are always worried about, uh, or advocates are always worried about when they're cross-examining a victim, is making sure that their style of cross-examination doesn't lead to the victim engaging the sympathy of the court. Uh, now, what course. things can you do to, to prevent well, that? Uh, it's a fact and degree question. It, one almost wants someone here as a victim to decide how to modify your style. It's, it's quite difficult to generalise, but... Um, if a witness is plainly milking it, yeah. I think you have to say to yourself, surely a good judge can see that. Uh, I don't think you. it should tempt you to be uh, angrier yeah. with the witness. I don't think it might tempt you to repeat your instructions, actually, on a particular topic. Or it might tempt you to say, please may I take you back to this topic and then I will leave it. Uh, I... I think it's about decency, courtesy, and professionalism. And that means sometimes witnesses will milk it, and you must live with it and take it. Take it on the chin, as it were, because you hope that the judge will also see it. Now, of mm. course, I said it was a fact and degree answer because there will be some very clever um, witnesses who can combine an ability to evoke sympathy with uh, an ability to exaggerate slightly what has happened. And mm. I'm sure that does happen in many mm. abuse cases. Something serious has happened, but it's been colored by the yeah. witness. Um, you just have to put putting your case clearly. And don't forget the huge value of cross-examination. Cross-examination really can bring out lies or exaggerations because of the response of the witness uh, tells the listener, the jury or the judge, that is not quite what happened. There's mm. something in this case that's being put on behalf of the um, defendant. Mm. Something did happen. It wasn't as simple as she says. And mm. that's what you've got to be cultivating. But going back to it, uh, if they start to milk for, um, 
for sympathy. You just don't change your basic courtesy. Mm. If you like, you get on to the next topic. Yeah. And don't forget, you've, you've, you want to get through this as quickly as possible. Fair, inconsistent with your, du your duty to your client. What has to be put. Uh, and, yes. And if, if that... Um, so if that if a victim does break down and cry, ah, for instance, right. what, what yes. would you actually do? I absolutely would stop. I would stop. I wouldn't interrupt. I would make a mental adjustment to myself. Are the tears coming to an end or is she in a state where she needs a break? If she needs a break, I would say at once to the judge, please may the witness have a few minutes. Yeah. But if it's a, a short outburst, you can judge, I think. Look, mm. it's, and you might say, may, may we continue? I want, I have a few more questions, but I think I sometimes indicate the time that she's going to face. Mm. I have probably about uh, 10 minutes more, uh, and then uh, I, I will have done. Yeah. Uh, try and give her something. But yeah. if she cries, uh, really cries, stop. Yeah, stop. Don't, don't, don't take advantage of her tears. And and then if you do have that person, as we've already discussed, milking it, or even going further and trying to use um, yes. cr crying or tears to give herself time or him, himself, because we're often dealing with, with male victims of course, as well. Of course, um, give, of course. Give, give uh, the victim time to uh, think about answers. So be, being used in an obstructive way, would that change your approach at all? It might. If it was obvious, it might. I would tend to give the um, person I was cross-examining the benefit of the doubt. If they cried, they cried because they cried. Because yeah. it's hurting so much inside. But um, I think I would temper that if they were putting it. I think you can pick it up if they're yeah. putting it on, allow a decent time for recovery, return to the topic. I think it probably would. It has the effect of tightening your questions even yeah. tighter than before. Yeah. Um, I. So would you do anything? I mean, would you say anything to the judge or, or the victim if, I, if it I, was the fifth time yes. and it was very clear that, that it, they weren't I, I think I, I, might risk, uh, uh, I might risk saying, are you sure you wouldn't like a short break? I'm sure his lordship would be prepared to give you one. And that sometimes has the effect on someone who is actually manufacturing, uh, not to to keep manufacturing, if you, you mm. get my point. Mm, mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's all about sensitivity to people and yeah. uh, picking up what the person is like and never forgetting you have a difficult, you must never betray your client. But I believe, as I said before, there is a relationship between the cross-examiner and the witness. And I know not all barristers share my view, but I believe you cannot cross-examine in without um, an understanding that this process is very painful for the person being cross-examined. And can I ask a question, Nigel? Because we, we've all faced these cases where it is clear as day that yes. um, what the victim has said 
uh, is true. You, you're unable to find yes. many inconsistencies. Absolutely. How do you? How do you? How do you deal with your cross-examination in those situations? Well, I put my case early, cleanly, quickly, and I leave it. Yeah. May I un understand what is being said? You can say whatever you like. What is being said is this did not happen in that way, or it, this did not happen. And this, what is further said is this, that, the other. Put it cleanly mm. and give them the chance to do. I was always taught that if you made a child cry when you were cross-examining in criminal cases, the you'd lost the jury forever. And if, mm. you, you understand the mm. point. So you mustn't contribute to it. They will cry despite you. Um, yeah. And you will react as a decent human being. But yeah. you, at the same time, there is that crunch, their case, which has got to be put. That, that is the, rele yeah. the, the relevant parts of their case. Yeah. Yes. And, and how do you adjust um, your style of cross-examination if special measures are involved? So, for example, I'm actually thinking at the moment we're still doing a lot of cases um, remotely but what I'm thinking about is when we return to courts and screens are involved. Yes um, it, it, <laughs> I don't know that it affects my question it does make the task more difficult if, if the screen is screen against you that doesn't mm. happen very often it's a screen against the other party yeah but um, I don't think it makes a material difference the way I go about putting the questions to the witness. In fact, I suppose subconsciously, I realize that the witness will be less frightened with luck, yeah. and that might make my task easier. Yeah. Um, uh, I, but as for other special methods like being on video, I think we all are adapting our style. Mm. Um, and I think probably our questions are shorter. I'm actually very impressed with what is possible online. We're all doing mm. it. Yeah. And uh, we've, we've learned how the, the key rules, technological and otherwise. And how do you address, so obviously it's slightly diff, diff, different because you're dealing with it in a criminal context. Yes. But how do you deal with... Um, what view the, the, the judge or the court should take about those special measures? Because there's, you know, there's a, um, a tendency, isn't there, to if you see special measures such as screens being employed, to yes. ha have an automatic sympathy again to the victim's case. So is there any uh, remark uh, that you make? No, I don't. I, would, I wouldn't risk any comment on, on special mm. measures in submissions or otherwise they've been imposed you live with them you work within them you keep your chest questions short and so on it's the difficulty is about body language sometimes going back to the video point mm. you can't see the whole reaction you don't have that wonderful benefit of being able to, to detect from their um their body movements whether or not they are telling the truth. Uh, I know that sounds a little loose, but you know mm. what I mean. If you look mm. at a whole person, it gives you a better idea what's happening yeah. inside. Yes.
So would you prefer cases to be heard in person rather, although you, you can see the benefit of remote hearings, do you prefer for no, examination no, purposes? Oh, I, well, I mean, all of us would prefer, I suppose, to be there. I just think that we've, this is way outside family. We've got to a stage that we can't go back to. We, we are all going to have to do more work online. And I actually think in the, in the, throughout all disciplines, that has got to be accommodated and we've got to live with it and evolve techniques and never forget the virtue of clarity. It, it, can be, it, it, it is top of the list and clarity wherever you are in court or on video absolute clarity and yeah. fairness as well yeah and nigel i've just got one final question um because you <laughs> mentioned cross-examining um children and um, yes rarely but but it does happen uh in cases in private law children cases um yes. practitioners may have to cross-examine um a child what, what, well, I don't what show do you say about that. I many mothers, all mothers, know how to deal with their children when they break down, and um, they also know that you shouldn't speak down to a child after a certain age when they're not young. You shouldn't demean children, yeah. and the same principle applies in court. Um, I, I, I find this a difficult question to answer because it depends on the child. But essentially, um, you, you shouldn't be trying to oversimplify the case beyond that which is necessary. Yes. Um, do you understand what I mean? I, so the judge yes, I do. doesn't think you're being condescending to the child. You've just got to put it at the level of the understanding of the child as you perceive that to be as a mother or a parent or whatever, not just as an advocate. That, that's, that's your approach to it. What, what does this child actually understand? How yeah. can I put it? And obviously that will be age appropriate. Of course, of course. And, and I, I don't um, want to run away from the fact that cross-examinations go wrong. A witness runs away from you. Uh, sometimes witnesses are highly intelligent. They see it as a battle to yeah. put you in your place as well as the person who has treated them badly. And th they will run away with it. And we've all been there. And we've got to sit there and take it and then get it back on track. Yeah. Um, there will be disasters. And you shouldn't come out of court and say, oh, God, I'll never want to do that again. You should say, mm -hmm. OK, um, I, I must learn from that. Yeah. But it's not going to happen every day of the week. No. Well, Nigel, thank you so much. That has been enormously helpful. Um, and I, I, for one, have learnt um, quite a lot. So thank you so much for coming <laughs> on the podcast. All right. Tara, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, next week, um, we're going to be... Uh, I'm going to be joined uh, by Samara Brackley and we're going to be talking about um, the introduction of the no-fault divorce legislation uh, which comes into force on the 6th of April so please do join us uh, then. Mm -hmm.